Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be uh, studying the text from verses 1 to 10 this morning. Um, while you're turning, uh, my name is Ron, um, and I'll be filling in for Graham this week. He is uh, taking some time off and spending time with his family, much deserved in my opinion. And uh, I'm praying that he'll come back restored and energized uh, to us soon. Um, yesterday, my daughter asked me um, if I was nervous about today, you know. And uh, some of y'all may not know this, but I, I used to preach about once a week in prison to about 400 men for about two years. So this looks like a pretty good crowd to me. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's some, there's my families up here, and they, they look pretty, pretty tough, but, but the rest of us, no. Um, so, uh, but I am in seminary now, and it's a blessing to be in seminary because I'm learning so much about the Lord. He's showing me so much. He's revealing himself to me in a new way and preparing me for whatever he's going to use me for. And so I'm thankful for that. We're studying a lot. We're reading a lot. And one thing that they do in school, some of you may remember this, they, they give you tests every week, you know, and so um, kind of in honor of my time in seminary, I'm going to do a test at the end of the sermon. Yeah, okay, so um, I think you'll do okay, though, all right. Um, I'm going to uh, teach this morning out of Ephesians. Ephesians is actually, say it's a book of Ephesians, really it's a letter. It was a letter that Paul wrote to be circulated to the, to the early churches, and it went from church to church to church, and they read that letter, and uh, it's titled uh, Letter to Ephesians. Um, but, you know, like when you get an email, you don't just read one sentence, and then you come back in three weeks and you read the next sentence. You know, it's a letter. It's supposed to be written, read together. So we, we don't have time this morning to do that, but I encourage you this week to read this letter. It's an awesome letter, um, and it's full of so much. I just can't cover it all, Okay. But please do that. Chapter 1 in Ephesians is about God's plan. God's plan of salvation. God's work in the world. Um, chapter 2 is how we get into that plan. And that's what we're going to study today is, is, is chapter 2, Ephesians uh, 1 through 10. Um, basically what this is, is about what it means to be a Christian. What it means to have a Christian life. Um, this is really an important topic because there's a lot of people who say they're Christians and they're not. They don't live this out. And it's pretty scary. And so we want to dig into this and find out what's the truth, okay, and reveal to us what that is. Um, I titled this, um, What It Means to Be a Christian, or Three Ways God Saves. I, I had two titles and I just couldn't make up my mind, so I just used both. Okay. The first thing... That God, as God saves us from something. That's that first line on your form. God saves us from something. And that first bullet point is that God saves us from death. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I want to explain what dead means. It's like, well, I don't know what dead means. Well, death and, and being dead is actually separation. When you're physically dead, that's what we're familiar with. When we're physically dead, our body dies and is separated from our spirits our body is, is gone, but our spirit lives everlasting. So in physical death, we're separated from our body. Our spirit and our body is separated. 
okay? There's three types of death, though. There's physical death. The next one is spiritual death. And spiritual death is being separated from God. That's our spirit is actually dead and doesn't respond to the things of God. Doesn't respond to God's word. Doesn't respond to what he says. When, when you hear God say something in the, in the Bible, it's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't understand. It's because we can't respond. We're dead. And you say, well, wait a minute, Ron. I'm walking around. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Well, we're dead on the inside. Our body is still walking around, right? Kind of like a zombie. You know, you're doing stuff, okay? But, but the thing that's in us is dead. We're not doing what we're supposed to. Um, the third type of death is eternal death. Eternal death is when you physically die while you're spiritually dead, there's no way to come to Christ, and so you eternally are dead. So we have a limited time offer. It's a limited time offer. You can accept Christ now while you're alive and live eternally or reject him and be eternally dead. It's the three types of death. So that's the first thing that God saves us from. The second thing God saves us from is our sin. If you continue on Ephesians uh, first two one, it says you were dead in the trespasses and sin. Trespasses and sin is actually two ways of looking at the same thing. Um, trespasses is getting off the path. Okay, God has a path away, and we get off of it. People in East Texas, we are very clear about what trespassing is and what trespassing is not. You're on the wrong side of the fence, dude. You're trespassing. You're breaking the law. You're in the wrong place. Okay, get on the right side of the fence. Okay, we know what that means. Okay, um, sin is another way to look at the same thing. Sin, the, the word sin here in Greek is actually an archery term. And it's used like if you've got a bow and arrow and you're aiming at a target and you shoot and you miss. You miss the target, okay? You miss what you're aiming for. We've got this path that we're supposed to be on. We're supposed to be following this path and we're off the path. We're trespassing. We're shooting at the target and we miss. Um, And so you might say, well, what's the target? What's the target? The target is, um, is the glory of God. In Romans 3.23, it gives us a definition of sin. And it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the target is what we're supposed to be aiming for is God's glory. What's that? What's God's glory? Um, God's glory is perfection. His perfect thoughts. His perfect speech. His perfect actions, his perfect motives, everything about him is perfect. And that, that's what God says we should be aiming at, is perfection. It's like, whoa, man, that is, that's a hard target to hit. And we all miss the target. It says all have sinned. We all miss the target. None of us hit it. It's sort of like this. If, you, if we all went to Florida, woo, we go to Florida, and we all line up at the beach, and you can have as big a run at this as you want. Long jumpers, okay? Get as big a run at this as you want, and you're going to run toward the ocean, and you're going to jump to Puerto Rico. <laughs> all right? You're not going to make it. I don't care how good you are. You may end up in the water this deep, or this deep, or this, or this deep, but you're not going to make it. 
That's what happens when we try to meet that mark. We, can, we just can't make it. We can't measure up to that. Um, we all fall short. You see, it's not a matter of just being good as compared to somebody else. That's what the world says. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that guy. You know? That's not the standard. <laughs> that guy is not the standard. He's aiming for the same standard you are. We're supposed to be. God's glory. The problem is that we're not, that we're not perfect, and we all fall short, fall short of what God wants us to be. We're all trespassers. We're all lawbreakers. We're all sinners, and we all fall short. Okay? Even playing field here. We're born to sin. It's in our nature. It's part of us. You, no one has to teach a little kid how to sin. <laughs> Nobody has to teach him to do stuff wrong. You have to teach him how to do stuff right. And you're going to spend a lot of effort doing that, but the sin that's in him is going to fight against that, right? It's in our nature to sin. Sin is not, not really what we do. It's what we don't do. People think, well, I, I do something wrong and that makes me a sinner. No. You do stuff wrong because you are a sinner. That's, you thought of it before you did it. It's in you. It's in us to sin. We think of it and then we do it. We think of it and we know we're not supposed to do that. And we do it anyway. It's in us to be a sinner. It's part of us. It's, it's like, it's, it's in us. It's mixed in. I used the illustration one time. It's getting sin out of us is like trying to get the egg out of mayonnaise. You know? It's mixed in real good. So sin is not what we do, it's what we don't do, and we miss the target and we fall short. We don't live in perfect holiness and we don't believe in Christ. That's what being a sinner is. We're spiritually dead because we're separated from God and we're following the world. We don't walk with God, we walk our own way. Um, Ephesians 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Stop right there. There are three aspects to following the course of this world. The first is humanism. This is very prominent in our culture, but it's not new. It's been prominent forever, since, the, for, since day one. Humanism is the, what the world says is the way you ought to think versus what God says you ought to think. Humanism is thinking that I'm the most important thing in my life. Humanism is saying I'm in charge, it's about me, and it's about what I want, it's what I need, it's my desires, it's me, 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 me. I'm the God of my own life. I choose, I decide, I'm going to go where I'm going to go, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I'm little g, God of my life. That's humanism. The second thing is materialism. We all know what this means. is I want more stuff. I want a new phone. I want a new car. I want a new, 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 this, whatever. You want a new thing. The world says, get a new iPhone 23 or whatever the number we are at now. You know? You need a 23 because a 22 is just not cutting it. You know, you need a new one. You know, that's materialism. I've got to have more stuff. It's a lie. Stuff is not going to give you joy. Stuff is not going to give you peace. Everybody knows this because you get stuff, and then you've got to have more new stuff. It doesn't last. The last thing is sex. 
See, God designed and intended sex for us to be a thing that brings him glory in marriage. He said, when you're married, it brings, you, brings glory to be two reunited in one. It's like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're, we're three, but we're one. That's what it's supposed to be. And the world just twists it. It said, I just want that, and I want to make me happy, and I'm going to have what I want. That's but the world. That's the world. So we're spiritually dead because we're separated from God, and we're following someone. Verse 2 says, we're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is this power in the air? It's Satan. Satan's got his hand on the world and says, this is the way we're going to do it. And this is how it's supposed to operate. And it's a lie. It's a lie to say, I'm going to be in disobedience. And that's the lie from the very beginning. Hath God said... It looks, the fruit looks good, I'm going to take it. It's the same for us. We follow after him and believe the lie. See, we don't fight against flesh and blood. You know, if somebody come up and hit me, I know who I was fighting against. But there's nobody swinging at me to look at. And that's the way the enemy likes it. He wants us to stay deceived and not know the truth of who we're fighting against. And he's real. He's the prince of darkness. See, Satan has a plan for our destruction and is leading us to live in disobedience. I want to give it a, a real quick explanation. Death and life. Dark and light. God uses this over and over and over again to illustrate. There is no source of dark. There's no dark bulb. There's no such thing. There's a light bulb. There's life. And then there's Darkness, which is the absence of light. Okay? There's death, the opposite, and the absence of life. Right? So if you're close to the light, okay, you're in the light. But when you're away from the light, you're in the dark. So darkness and death is being away from the source. Does that make sense? Okay? It's, not, it's not good versus evil. It's not Star Wars. Okay? It's good. In the absence of good. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind. This is being the king and queen of our own life. We're following the course of our own choosing. We're following after the world. We're following Satan's plan of disobedience. We're following our own desires to be trespassers and sinners. We're living our own way in disobedience. We're setting ourselves up as king of our lives, and that makes us an enemy of the real king. An enemy of the real king. We're set against him because we say, no, I'm king, you're not king, I'm king. That makes us an enemy. And that brings something. That's the next point. That God saves us from God's wrath. Ephesians 2.3 says, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're children of wrath because we are sons and daughters of disobedience. That's who we belong to. Society today doesn't take God's wrath very seriously. You don't hear it preached much. But it's in the text, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, We don't see that when we sin that we're going our own way. 
that we are in disobedience and that we are, an opposed, we are opposed to God and we're in disobedience. We don't see it that way. We just, just blow it off. Forget about it. We don't see that we're an enemy to God and that we deserve something for it. We deserve judgment for that disobedience. Now, God's wrath does not mean that he just gets mad from time to time, like I lose my temper, you know, and I'm mad and then I get over it and I forget about it. That's not the way God's wrath works. That's not the way God's wrath works. See, God's wrath is consistent. It's controlled. It's judicial. It's a pronouncement. Guilty? Not guilty. Um, his, wrath is opposed, his wrath is opposed to anything that's opposed to his righteousness. But why is God wrathful? You might say, yeah, I break the law sometimes and I deserve some punishment, but infinite wrath of God? Dude, that's, that's, that's a lot, you know? That's a lot. Well, let me try to explain this with two scriptures. I mean, one scripture and an illustration. John 3 explains it, starting in verse 16. You've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, that he could save us, and that whoever believes in him is not condemned. Praise the Lord. Oh, it doesn't stop there, though. It says, but, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the dark rather than the light because their works were evil. The light has come and we say, I don't want that, I want this. That's the judgment. We decide. So think of it this way. I'm driving in a neighborhood and maybe I'm going a little too fast. Maybe I get distracted take my eyes off the road for a second and foolishly I kill a small child in the street I run him over first of all I'm going to be charged with a crime I'm going to be tried um, I'm going to be found guilty most likely and then I'm going to get to pay a fine or I'm going to be in prison most likely for manslaughter or something and then after I've paid that fine and after I've served my time in prison as far as the law is concerned I am done I'm Closed case, satisfied, fixed, right? Uh, nothing else matters. The law is satisfied. No, one, no more interest on me. No concern. It's over. That's sin against the law. But what about, what about the little girl's mother? Is there anything I can do to make it right with her? Is there any amount of time I can spend in prison and make her okay with me? Is there any amount I can pay to get her forgiveness? No. There's nothing I can do to make that right. That's sinning against love. The only way I can have a relationship with her is if she decides to forgive me. That's the only way I can have a relationship with her is if she chooses to, to forgive me. That's what sinning against God's love is. We sin, it's in us, and we're set against him, and there's nothing we can do, no amount of doing good things is going to make it right with him.
because He sent His Son to die for us, to take our sin, and to make a way for us to be with Him, and we reject that. And we say, no, I don't like your solution. I'm going to make my own. This is my way. Your way? Problem is, that won't cut it. You're still in the same place. Sin against His love. We love to be king instead of surrendering to the real king. And the solution to our problem and we reject it. God gave us an infinitely priceless gift, Jesus. And that we rightly deserve the infinite wrath of God for rejecting his gift, and we are hopeless and helpless to do anything about it on ourselves. It's like a dead guy. You got a dead guy, and he's laid out, and you say, here's the medicine that's going to fix him, and you set it on the table right beside him and say, go ahead. Is he going to pick it up? No. He can't do anything about it. He did. That's who we are when we're spiritually dead. We can't do anything without God doing a miracle. Fortunately, that's the next point. God saves us by something. He saves us by his grace. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead... In our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He's got the medicine. He's got the fix. He's got the solution. It's him, 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 and him. The first two words in this is just awesome. But God. We are set against him and dead. But God does a miracle. But God did something to keep me from being dead, to make me alive again. But God, there's a whole bunch sitting right here on these two roads who can tell you what kind of a person I was before God. It ain't pretty. But God did a miracle. People say, I don't believe in miracles. You're looking at one. And I'm looking out here, I know some testimonies in here, and there's a bunch of them in here. We have no way out. We're spiritually dead, but God intervenes and he brings the dead to life. The same creator who created every sun in the galaxy in a word. One word, let there be light. And every sun in the universe was created like that. That's who, he, that's who we're talking about. He has a solution. God makes the dead come alive together with Christ. See, he has mercy on us. There's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is saying, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. You deserve death. You deserve judgment. And I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to have, you know, you, you've heard mercy on the court. Throw, your, throw yourself on the mercy of the court. It's like, I'm not, I don't want what I deserve. That's mercy when God doesn't do that. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. Life with him. Life at all. That's grace. God gives us something we don't deserve, and he doesn't give us what we do deserve. It's a gracious work that we don't deserve, getting forgiveness and imputed righteousness and restored relationship. Let me explain what that is. Imputed righteousness. Man, that sounds like a seminary word. Imputed righteousness is Jesus came, and he died, and he took your sin... And God took that sin and he put it on Jesus and he took Jesus' perfect holiness and his perfect righteousness and he imputed it on you. He said, you are righteous. 
You didn't do it. God did it. It's a trade. He took all our sin and put it on Jesus, and he took all of his perfection and he put it on us. A miracle. A miracle. So the second thing that God God saves us by is, is he saves us by Christ's work. Ephesians 2, 5, and 7 says, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I really like the way Colossians explains this, explains Jesus in this. He says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body, in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless. That's the work that Christ did. It's Christ's work. He laid down his life for us. He took our sin. He paid our price. He ransomed us from slavery. He redeemed us and justified us and reconciled us and made peace between someone who's an enemy. That's Christ's Christ's work. Being in trespasses and sin is the opposite of being in Christ. They're opposites. Christ's solution to our death and separation in God. Verse 5 says, alive with Christ. Verse 6 says, seated in heaven with Christ. Verse 7 says, grace and kindness in Christ. It's in Christ. That's how God saves us. The third point here is faith in him. God saves us by faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, and it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's what we've been talking about. We have to believe. We believe stuff all the time. We believe the water coming out of the tap's not poison. We have faith in that. We have faith that when we step on the pedal in our, in our car that the, the thing's going to stop every day, all day long. We have faith constantly, and we have no idea. Here's a creator of the universe saying, have faith in me. Believe me. We have to have faith in his work for us. People think, but, but I don't want to give up the good stuff. I don't want to give up that good stuff in life, you know? I don't want to give that up and believe and become a Christian. But the stuff we don't give up is the stuff that's keeping us from the good that God wants to give us. It's a lie. You're going to have all this stuff. The world says, there's more stuff, more stuff. Be important. Be, be your own God. You know, don't give that up. And then you find out God's got a gift for you of a real life, of life in, with him, a life in relationship with him, a life that's worth having, a life with peace, and joy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you have God with you as opposed to God against you. We have to surrender. We have to get off the throne. We have to make him Lord. 
Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, when asked, how can I follow you? How can I be a, belong to you? He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Get off the throne. This is not a peace negotiation. It's a surrender. It's saying, I, you know, I, they, thankfully they don't have any words. God is my co-pilot. Let me tell you what, if God's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong place. God's a pilot, the co-pilot, and the Holy Spirit is the navigator. And you're not even in the cockpit. That's how it's supposed to really be. You're going to crash. <laughs> Jesus said, deny yourself and follow me. This sounds hard, Ron. Jesus said in John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Isn't that simple? Decide. Decide, I believe in you, Lord. Thank you. In 14.6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. I'm the path. You're trespassing off the path. I'm the truth. If you're not listening to me, you're listening to a lie. I'm the truth. I'm the way. So the last section here is God saves us to something. Ephesians 2.7 says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We get something. Immeasurable riches. You can't count it. He makes us alive with Christ. Ephesians 2.5, Even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He's imputed his righteousness. He gave us his righteousness. And to show his immeasurable riches toward us with a new life, we're no longer dead, we're no longer slave to sin. That's what God gives us. He also gives us heaven. Ephesians 2, 6 says, He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're seated in Christ in, with Christ in heaven. It's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not in heaven, Ron. I'm looking around this thing, I'm not heaven. This is talking about positionally. Positionally, when you say, I, I surrender, I give my life, then God says, you are right with me in heaven forever. That's a position. Practically, we're still on the planet. Practically, we're still walking around, right? One day, we'll be with him eternally. And even though we're positionally there and sealed and guaranteed, Practically, we're still in this world. Why? Why, God? Why are we here? Why am I still here? Verse 10. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is not through works. We just got through covering that. You can't do it to be saved. Works is a result of salvation. Okay? You got a dead tree, doesn't make any fruit. The tree's got to be alive first, and then you get fruit. Something comes out of it. Works is a result of salvation. It's a test. Whoa. Is there good coming out of our lives? 
Psalm 139 says, God designed you and fashioned you before creation. He knew you and loved you, and you are his workmanship. He's designed you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you your gifts and your talents, your your wisdom, the color of eyes you have, where you live, the people in your life. He designed all of that, every bit of it. It's not by accident. So all of those talents and all of those things that God gave us, who do we use them for? Do we use them for us? That's not why God gave them to us. God gave them to us to use to show the world who he is for his glory, for his honor. That's why he designed you was for him. That's why we're still in the world. In conclusion, God saves us from death. He saves us from our sin and he saves us from wrath. And he saves us by his grace by faith in Christ. He saves us to be alive with Him. He saves us to be in heaven with Him. And He saves us to do good works. Now, at the beginning of this, it all talks past tense. It says, you were dead. Okay? If you're a believer, that's true, past tense. If you're not a believer, not past tense. It's true right now. Still dead. Are you still the king of your life? We have a mixed group, a group in this room. Okay, there are some here who are truly saved, and there are some who are, who think they're saved. They think of some event that happened forty-three years ago, and I said some words, and my life is the same. This is a terrifying place to be. It terrifies me. And there's also some who are sitting here that that know my life does not belong to God. So here comes a quiz. This is to help reveal the condition of your heart. Question one. Do you take advantage of all the church provides to grow you in Christ? We have men's and women's Bible studies. We have small groups. We have equipping classes. We have these things all the time. Why do we do that? We do that because God told the leadership of this church, equip the saints for a purpose. It's not Graham's job to evangelize. His job is to teach us how to evangelize. His job is to teach us to do good works. His job is to show us how to do that. And we're supposed to be equipped for that. Okay? We're supposed to, to learn. Are you escorting to people to Christ? Are you showing them who he is? Are you establishing people in the truth? Do you know the truth? Do you know the word? Can you tell somebody the truth if they asked you? Do you know it in your heart? Are you equipping people for ministry? Are you discipling anyone? God said, go and make disciples. He wasn't talking to Graham. Well, he's talking to Graham too. But it's just Graham and everybody else. Is there someone that you love and you're speaking into their life and you're telling them the truth of who Jesus is? 
Are you getting messy with it and getting into the mess of their lives and saying, come out of that. Come into the light. I set before you death and life, blessing and cursing. Choose. Choose life. That's question one. How do you live your life? Are you growing closer to God? How does your life look like compared to five years ago or one year ago or a few months ago? Do you have more peace or do you have more hopelessness and helplessness? Are you better able to handle the trouble in this sin-cursed world? Are you becoming more Christ-like? If you are the same, you're not growing in Christ. You're bumping along maybe a dead tree. What's your desire? Where is your heart focused? Is it to serve God or to serve yourself? Not sure? Here's a way to tell. How do you use the, God, the gifts that God has given you? Do you use them for yourself or do you use them for God? Well, how do you use them? What did God give you? How do you use it? What are you spending on? Do you spend your time, your assets, your treasures, your talents? Where you spend these things will reveal where your heart is, where your treasure is, where your life is. Is your life centered on Jesus and glorifying God? Do you make all your decisions based on what's going to give him glory or what's going to give you glory? What's going to give you peace? What's going to give you praise or comfort or security? How do you decide? It's like, what's God's will? Okay, it's to show his glory. That's really short. Yeah, it is. That's the target, to show his glory, to tell the world who he is. That's how we're supposed to spend our life in Christ, is to show people who he is. If you're not doing that, you need to do a heart check. You need to do a heart check. We need to be sold out. It's, it sounds kind of radical. It sounds kind of radical. It's like, Ron, go easy. Can I, can I use this word? If you're not, it's just lukewarm. If you're not, it's just lukewarm. Are you going to be on fire for him? Or are you going to be cold and dead? Pick one. You are picking one. Choose the good one. Okay. I'm done. Let's pray.